Welcome to my favourite Beatles song, the podcast where we celebrate the music of the Beatles with a distinguished guest. My name is Tim Tucker and with me today is Neville Martin. Hi Nev. Hi Tim, nice to see you. Neville is a guitar magazine editor. He's been editing guitar magazines since the 1980s, including guitarists, guitar techniques and many others. You also play guitar with Marty Wilde and the Wildcats and have been for some time. Many years, 38 years, I've realised just today, which is unbelievable, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> a reason to celebrate. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how would you rate your level of Beatle fandom on a, a scale of 0 to 10? I'd certainly say 9. I, I think I just fall slightly short of obsessive. Um, but 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 I'm I'm near obsessive, and whenever ever I see anything on television about them, I always watch it. Or if it, the main name mentions, I always have to jump in the conversation to give my papers, you know. Yes. So so I'm yeah I'm I'm pretty. I mean I the thing for me is I mean I'm an old man now, but one of the, I hate being an old man. But one of the things that's good about being an old man is I was 12 when Love Me Do came out, and I was 13 when She Loved Me came out, and 17 when Sergeant Pepper came out. So I was absolutely the right age to get the whole thing. And I know it's a cliche, but they were the backdrop to my teenage years. They absolutely were, right until I was 20. And, you know, they split up in about 70, and I was 20 in 1970. So it, it was absolutely perfect. You and I, full disclosure, we played in bands together, and whenever the conversation veers, as it often does to the Beatles, <laughs> it's hard to shut us both up. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. It's good. It's good to find a kinship in in that regard. Absolutely, and I know that um, from some of those conversations that you've had some encounter with uh, members of the Beatles in the past. Can you tell us about those? I, I have. Um, I, I, one of the most peculiar was um, Paul McCartney was doing something. George Harrison did it as well with um, Carl Perkins. And it was a TV show, and I think people like Dave Edmonds and Jeff Lynne were doing it, and so the Jeff Lynne connection probably got the Beatles involved. And I don't think McCartney was on it, but he was there. And uh, Carl Perkins was playing a guitar that Paul really liked the look of. So Carl went back to the States and ordered one in a left-handed version for Paul. And uh, a guy from the guitar company rang me up, and I knew him at the game at the time. His name's Ken Hensley, sadly died now. He was the keyboard player in Uriah Heep. And he said, would you come along with me to deliver this guitar to Paul? So long story short, we ended up at, outside the top of the Pops studio, and it really did have the star on the door. And the dressing room, outside the dressing room, rather. And um, we knocked on, we went in, and Paul was you know, beside himself with his guitar, and he literally picked up this guitar and played Blackbird and sang Blackbird. He squatted down on the floor and played and sang Blackbird and things we said today. And it was an absolute, I mean, I think he was doing, he was giving us a McCartney moment. I think I think that was in his psyche, that, that he knew he was giving us something that we'd remember all our lives. And I do. And what the, a lovely the, gesture. Yeah. It was fantastic. And he was really nice. And, and he, he said, come and watch the show. They were, they were doing um, My Brave Face, one of the, one of the tracks off that album he did with Elvis Costello when they, they co-wrote. And uh, he said, I'll oh, come and watch the show. And, and uh, we, we, tr we tried to, but the Jobsworth on the door wouldn't let us in because it was capacity. And so we went back to the dressing room. Paul and Linda came out, actually. And Paul said, did you, did you like it? How do you like it? And we, we, said, we said, oh, they wouldn't let us in. Too, too many people in there. And he said, oh, bloody top of the flops. So that was Paul. Then I met George. I met George a couple of times, actually. Um, I'll give you the, the one I liked the most. We were playing with Marty Wilde at the Oxford Apollo 
uh, on the same bill as Joe Brown. And Joe Brown was very close friends with George. And George was best man at his second wedding, stuff like that. So whenever we played there, Joe always said, oh, George, George is coming tonight. Oh, George is coming tonight. And he never did. And then on this one, he said, George is coming tonight. And we thought, oh, of course he is. So honestly, I was standing on the stage. And I, stay, I play stage left. And so I'm right next to the wing there. And we got to the third song, which was Marty's big hit, Rubber Ball. And my harmony line on that is bouncy, 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 as in a rubber ball. So I walk up to the mic with my guitar. I remember it forever. I had a playing a Gibson Les Paul. I was going, bouncy, 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 bouncy. And, and I turned to my left, and no kidding, there was this figure who looked exactly like he did on the lawn of um, All Things Was Past with the gnomes. This long black hair, long beard, and it was George sitting like six feet away from me. He watched the entire show. And at the end, I had to walk off past him. And I said, oh, thanks for that. It really made me feel comfortable. He said, oh, man, he said, I loved all that Whitley stuff you were doing there, man. Oh, great. You know, so it's really funny, really funny. That's but, great. Uh, I trade it, any any of my career highs for both of those moments. <laughs> <laughs> it was only it was only happenstance. And, and it was neither was actually in, 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 in the role of either con personal contacts or my work. And they just both happened to be that happened to happen. Yeah, that's, and that, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. but they were love. They were lovely moments, and, and to to say that you've met both of those guys is is quite something, especially as George's gone. Oh, thanks for sharing those with us. Oh, it's a pleasure, pleasure. <laughs> The song you've chosen is Happiness is a Warm Gun. So it was released on The Beatles, which is commonly known as the White Album due to its cover and design, in November 1968, both here and in the US, a few days later in the US. It was a massive success, especially for a double album. Its worldwide sales were soon in the millions. And it, yeah, it caught on huge. And you say you probably remembered getting this at the time, I imagine. It, was it an album that was talked about a lot at the time? Oh, it was. It was a funny thing that we, we, we got every album. In fact, because we were kids, my mum always used to buy them for us because she, she, she was an equal lover of Beatles and, and, and popular music as, as we were because she was only in her 40s at the time. So so she was a massive fan. She was a musician herself. Um, we got. I remember us getting it. And it, it's weird, but with every Beatle album, a Beatles album, we seem to get more and more bemused initially because you think, what, what, I don't, what's, what's going on? You loved it. And instantly you didn't quite know why you loved it. And you always had the thing where on, um, I don't know, on one of the albums, your favorite song would be on, say, Sergeant Pepper, When I'm 64. Cause it's so jaunty and so jaunty. But within no time at all, you're loving the weirdest song on the album. And that seemed to happen to me with it, like Revolver. I loved all the great songs on there. And that when you, Tomorrow Never Knows, didn't quite understand it at first. You end up thinking, this is a masterpiece, absolute masterpiece. And the same went with the White Album. And I loved I loved some of the odd tracks on it. I, I never really got Revolution Number 9. But I, I loved the slow version of Re Revolution that was on that. Uh, Paul plays a most beautiful bass line, a flowing bass line in, in that. Uh, and uh, I, I love George's little little finger style song um it's been a long 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 time it's just a beautiful little throwaway song but as i've said many times and i know you will have done you know the beatles throwaway songs were better than almost any other pop song that any other group's ever done <laughs> so so yes yeah, so, so i loved it and, and 
when I heard Happiness is a Born Gun, I, I loved it instantly, but I didn't really understand it as very well. I knew I loved it, but I couldn't really put my finger on why. But I listened to it twice this morning, just before we did this, and uh, I was struck by its epicness. It is a massive track. It's huge, and they all thought it was the best, the best track on the album. Um, and 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 then McCartney said, "I think it's the best thing we've ever done." And it wasn't even a McCartney. That wasn't even a McCartney song. So you know, I believe he did say that. But but um, but Ringo certainly said it's our finest moment. Oh uh, yeah, and it, it's a monster piece. It's it's epic because it's it's written in sections. I mean, it it is almost the reason prog prog rock exists. That is prog rock. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't, yeah. Think of the different time signatures. You know, it starts in regular two four or four four. I'm not exactly sure which. Then it goes into the George's solo, which is in Wall's time. Then it's this massive odd time thing. Yeah, there are various interpretations of the time signatures used. Um, the complete Beatles score lays it out this way. It says that the A and B sections are in four four mainly, with the odd bar of two four and a bar of five four on the line. The soap impression of his wife. A soap impression of his wife Which he ate and donated to the National Trust And then in the C and D sections It shifts to 9-8 Alternating with 12-8 I need a fix Cause I'm going down Down to the bits that I left then an E section that alternates between 9-8 and 10-8, although there's a definite 16-note feel to parts of that. Mother Superior jumped the gun. 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 Then the F section that's in 4-4. Four, four. And then this really interesting G section that's in 12-8 in the vocal melody, but the drums continue to play 4-4 four, four underneath it. So it's a kind of cross rhythm. When I hold you in my arm And I feel my finger on your trigger I know nobody can do me no harm And then the H section, the final section, goes back to four, a straight 4-4, four, four, but even there there's a, a short little bar of 2-4 before the end. So it's really um, mixed in terms of its time signatures, and that's a very John Lennon thing, isn't it? He did that in a lot of his songs. No, I have read that George helped him on that, ah, because George was very good in all those odd chords, odd time signatures. Often in George songs there would be a 3-4 time piece as well as all the 4-4 four, four time stuff. Of course, yeah. And, and that the Beatles were masters at that. You know, if you think of We Can Work It Out, you know, life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. And there's a bit of 3-4 in a 4-4 four, four song that the punters, i.e. me, wouldn't have realised was that. And it didn't, it wasn't, didn't stick out. It was just clever, clever and brilliant songwriting. Yeah, and John, John often did odd bar metrics, didn't he? He did it in All he You did. Need Is Love. Um, yeah, he, he I'm did. I'm trying to think exactly. of the other. Oh, she said, she said, had yeah. a strange bar sort of thrown in. I remember reading an interview when they did the anthology um, and finished off Free as a Bird. They'd found mm. an odd time signature in there somewhere and all had a yeah. laugh at that. Because one of the things about it is that none of those sections you mentioned repeat, do they? So it, it, no. it goes a bit like the, you know, the culmination of an idea that might end up in the Abbey Road B-side, where you go yeah. from song to song until you reach the end. So it's more like yeah. a suite, but a very compressed one. 
it is a sweet, and I think that's the, the best way of putting it. And it and it, and it builds and it grows because when you think it starts with John playing that finger style that he learned in Rishikesh from Donovan, etc. He's playing on an electric guitar, which is kind of unusual. I think he's playing it on his um, blonde Epiphone uh, Casino, and it, it's really nice. And it's typical that typical John style of that the rocking thumb and, and the and the mel- you know the arpeggios above that. She's not a girl. Who misses much? Oh yeah. It's always fascinated me that he was the one who learned finger picking. You know, I've always assumed that someone like Paul would, but Paul never really properly learned it. He had his own version, didn't he, with in Blackbird, which is a sort of more of a thumb and a strum. Yeah, but, so he uh, had the, he had almost like the ukulele thing where you you do that kind of thing. So he's was in Blackbird, he'd boom, and you know, on on that, and he did that on on several songs, and and John immediately took to the the fingerstyle thing that Donovan showed him, but he always did this interesting John because if you think of any guitarist listening to this, you think of the chord of C, the bass note is on the fifth string. So then you, you blow down uh, up down a string for the G, which is the dum 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 dum. And then uh, up then then up. But John thought that was how you did it. You always started on the fifth string. So on an E minor chord, he, he picks the fifth first, not the, the root. So he'll he'll pick the B. But that gave him a sound that nobody else has got. You think dear, the same on Dear Prudence? Exactly the same on Dear Prudence as the rundown's going. He's picking that fifth string first, so so it's it's really weird. Um, and Julia, and, where it's an F chord, I think, and he plays the C first, mm, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And George didn't really pick it up. You know, the, you, the people often think of um, "Here Comes the Sun" as being from the It's it's pick. You can hear it's pick. It's 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 a pick song. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's picked. You know, with a plectrum. Absolutely. It's not fingerstyle. Yeah. No, it's not no. fingerstyle. Even, even the sort of arpeggio bits are picked, aren't they? With a plectrum. Yeah. yeah. They are. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. They are. And and again, that gave them three totally different guitar voices. What I was fascinated was how many songs he got out of it. So, you know, this is classic John. He'll, you'll teach him a trick or something, and, the, and he gets like Dear Prudence, Julia, he gets this, he gets, you know, Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Even Good Night it, it, started as a finger picking if you hear yeah. the outtake of Good Night. Yeah. Yeah. But, but say, so going back to the Help album, it, you could clearly hear John had learned that G chord with the D on the, D on the second string, whereas most people, you, you play it without that, you get a B on the second string. But because John had been listening to country stuff and that, and, and they'd learned these chords. So that here's a new chord on a, you've never heard this chord on a Beatle album. They've learned it. They've learned something new and they're showing you it, which they did all the time. Absolutely all the time. And it does, it does play beautifully in this song because he doesn't rest the whole song on it. Like he does with Julia or dear prudence. He, he just uses it yeah. as the intro. Yeah. Again, it's that, you know, he starts the intro gently with the gentle vocal and gentle guitar. And then it builds and gets nastier and nastier. And yeah, it, which, which is lovely. You know, there's several tracks where they've done that. You think of the, what's the type of the track, the, the big big track on um, Abbey Road. The, I Want You. I Want You, yeah, She's So Heavy, yeah. 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 You think how that starts. Yeah. That starts yeah. really gentle, softly bluesy. and gently, yeah. slightly bluesy, yeah, slightly. Yeah. And then it ends up with this massive thing <laughs> that goes on and on and on. And it almost drives Doom you insane. Yeah. yeah. And then it ends halfway, almost like halfway through the, the riff. Yeah. Very, very, very funny. But they did do that a lot. The elements of the song Happiness is a Warm Gun actually come from, so there was a bit of it that came from an outtake from the Isha demos, 
of I'm So Tired. Um, right, there's a bit in the, right. where, he's, where he sings, um, when I hold you in my arms, yeah. I feel, you know, that. That's yeah. actually a middle eight he had in mind for I'm So Tired. I'll give you everything I've got for little peace of mind. When I hold you in your arms, when you show each one of your charms, I wonder should I get up and go to the funny bar. You'd say. So there's a lot going on in that period, isn't there? And they'd written yeah. a lot. Well, I think almost all of these songs they'd written in India in Rishikesh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, looking back at Lennon's descriptions of his songwriting process, he very often did piece together songs from elements and he'd often have Paul to help him with that, didn't yeah. he? I, d I don't think they like to waste something because even if you come up with a brilliant snippet and you can't fulfil it at the time with, with the rest of that song, then, you know, think of the medley on Abbey Road and you think of other places where, as you, you, you mentioned today in the life, perfect example of two totally different pieces of music put together and because they were so conjoined Lennon McCartney and the other two um they it doesn't didn't sound like it was a something it was like a cut and shut it, it wasn't a cut and shut it was brilliant you know Lennon said it was put together from bits of about three different songs and just seemed to run the gamut of many types of rock music and there's another quote where he says it was like the history of rock and roll going from mm. you know the the kind of folky bit at the beginning yeah. through yeah. the kind of triple time then the rock as you say then into yeah. doo-wop at the end isn't it yeah exactly but Lennon's but Lennon's vocal on the end it sounds like a southern Baptist preacher or 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 Muhammad Ali shouting at the top of his voice you know like it was like where I hold you but he's amazing typical Lennon raspy thing and he really went for it he went for it because he starts really softly you know she's not a girl really sweet sounding then at the end end up he's shouting his head off one of the marvels of this song to me is how did they make that work <laughs> well well they did have, they did have george martin so you know yeah. he he was some ally we never we'll never quite know how much because he never revealed what what his his input was but it must have been a lot certainly in the early days i think they received kind of training if you like on on the job training from him they'd learned from him especially paul who was such an an, an absorber of knowledge knowledge mu musical and otherwise and, and he, I think Paul helped a lot. In fact, on the White Album, you and I have discussed this. While the others were kind of pulling away from Paul, he put as much of his much input in to help the other songs as he possibly could. So there are loads of vocal harmonies on George songs and, 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 and lovely bass playing on George songs and John songs, whereas they didn't really put into his, because they were... He was slightly on the edge at that time, but um, I mean, I'm, but on say Julia, which is one of my favourite Beatles songs of all time, um, on the anthology you can hear Paul egging John on. Okay, oh, you nearly got it there. You know, that that's such that's so Paul, um, and and you, you sometimes wonder, you know, was it the fact that he wanted to get in on everything, or was he just helping to make the mm. best music that they could do? And I think it's the latter.
So they must have gone through discussion. Well, we want to make it. We want to make it build. Let's start quiet. Let it end on that. You know, the absolute crescendo, which they, which they did. So a lot of commentary on the White Album. The story goes that this is where they the split started, isn't it? That's the the yeah. traditional story. And certainly, there's a lot of songs on there where they're doing it on their own. Paul's on his own. Yeah. John's on his own. Um, yeah. And people lay the you know the blame for that often on Yoko because jo- well John certainly turned away from Paul a bit there didn't he and and used yeah. Yoko as a as a sort of artistic foil but one of the things that came out of that box set was interesting uh, and I, re- I was reading in the notes in there and also in the outtake they 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 play a great outtake where his vocals not right but they're go- going through it as a band mm-hmm. and apparently they performed forty five takes of that wow all of them say it was a it was really cooperative on that particular song they mm-hmm. were re- all really wanted to make it work they all loved it yeah. as you said. And Ringo said, that's where we ended up being a band again. And that's what I always love. I love being in a band. You can hear at the end, there's a little bit of dialogue where John apologises for making them go through it. And I wonder if he had in mind the fact that Obladi Obladar had been <laughs> gone over a lot and they'd yeah. all resented that a bit. Is, is anybody finding it easier? It seems a little yeah. easier. Yeah. It's just not, no fun, but it's easier. Easier and fun. Oh, all right, if you insist. It's it's touching to think that the band got together on at least on this song, and I'm sure some others on the White Album they felt yeah. togetherness. Even though you know Ringo was famously left in the middle of it, and they all had yeah. their problems, there was this yeah. session. And I, I wonder if that undercurrent of togetherness is part of the reason why Happiness is a Warm Gun works so well. Yeah, I, th- I think it did. I mean, I'm I'm sure we can find out from you know Re- Revolution in the Head what dates everything was recorded on. But but if you think of Birthday, sounds like it's a band playing. Uh, but things like do it, why don't we do it in the road? That's just Paul messing about. I've got a line. I'm going I'm to sing it, you know. And uh, you know th- things like um, Savoy Truffle. Yeah, it, it, it's it was. I'm sure Paul had a lot of input input into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's uh, quite a few songs on the album that are about do sound like a band playing. And I think I think even in the in the days when they were doing all those those overdubs, at the heart of it. They put down a rhythm track, so they were playing. They were playing together, and they added things afterwards. I think possibly this further exp- experimentation experimentation came from their love of middle eights. You know, they often had middle eights in their song, and so there's a let's go somewhere else here, and then we then we come back to the main theme afterwards, and they, that possibly fed into this this whole business of of the of the the epic pieces that they that they did. Yeah, well, I mean, the songs that strike me as the ones where they bolted two songs together, We Can Work It Out, Day in the Life, yeah. um, Baby, You're a Rich Man, which has yeah. two separate songs bolted yeah. together. You think of the num- number of songs where Lennon would take the middle eight, um, you know, things like um, uh, Please Don't Wear Red, Wear Red Tonight, you know, was the score. Yes, it is, you know, uh, things like that. And even ba- um, uh, oh, uh, what's the sex, that lovely B-side early on. The big do what one this very, boy this boy yeah you think of this boy you know oh and this, you know Lennon goes into that thing there's uh, several things on the, there and again if you listen to Lennon on um, our song that we're talking about today uh, he he that's uh, if you like the culmination of that is oh and when I hold you you know it's 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 very much you know this is a lot of I that think, yeah. I think on happiness as a warm gun, I think Lennon was at his absolute zenith as as a singer. I think he was, and the harmony vocals they're they're just beautiful. In fact, when when the 
happiness and do, comes in. That's every single time the hairs go up on my neck. Every single time I hear that. Happiness is a warm gun. Yes, it is. Happiness is a warm. Yes, it is. It's a release. It's a release from all the tension of those other sections in all those odd times into this lovely, mellifluous, kind of friendly sound that we all know and love. And yet it's still in the heart of it is these these terrible lyrics, you know, to all of, uh, lyric, lyrics about terror, should I say. And, uh, and it, that was part of their brilliance. Yes, it is a dark song, isn't it? Um... John Lennon said he got the idea from the song when he saw a headline on a gun magazine that said, happiness is a warm gun. And this was just after Robert Kennedy had been shot. And he told Rolling Stone magazine, what a fantastic, insane thing to say. A warm gun means that you've just shot something. I think lyrically, the song is one of those that you can listen to either as a set of nonsense lyrics, which you could very easily do with I'm the Walrus and Strawberry Fields, you know, nonsense lyrics you think there is clearly meaning un under it you know the, the, the school or the, the home whatever it was um but you can also listen to it and see what what are they singing about here what does it all mean you know you, you can think you can hear the line happiness is a warm gun you think that doesn't mean anything well it does mean on one level it doesn't mean anything. it's a nonsense lyric almost on the other thing it's a very very deep and dark thing as you said you know a warm gun means you've just shot possibly somebody or an animal, you know, which, which he was dead against. So, yeah, um, I, I think that's one of the things that, 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 that almost like you can, you can listen to the song on many levels. Mm. Um, so it keeps giving. You, yeah. Well, it does. And, and yeah, if you listen to it musically, you know, you, the things that you read out earlier, um, you know, it, it's, it's musically very clever. And as and I say, that predates the prog bands. They were, they were kind of just bands like Yes, which are starting out about that time. And the Beatles had kind of set the ball rolling, if you like. A lot's been made of the um, the the sort of sexual innuendos in this. And I guess he must have been aware of, you know, my finger on your trigger. And yeah. even, you know, some of the imagery is quite um, sexual. So as it, I don't yeah. know about you, as a youngster, when I first heard it, it really confused no. me with these elements of darkness oh. and weirdness and sexual you know you could feel it all well, in there couldn't you it's, it's the same thing if you think of the, that great old british institution uh, pantomime pantomime lyrics are written so that if when the adults take the children the children don't understand the innuendo and that the the adults get a laugh out of it and you can almost say the same with the beatles you know um i didn't understand what fish and finger pie meant in in Penny Lane, in one of Paul's most lovely songs, um, you know, there, there's a bit of dirt in it, you know. And I, did, I didn't understand it at the same time, never, never, never knew it. I thought he'd uh, fluff fish fingers as a line, like, you know, the fish fingers yeah, would eat. Yeah, but they were, they were talking about little dirty influence in, yeah, you know, absolutely. In, in, around the back. You'll find out you know. later. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you, 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 that was a lot of a lot of stuff back then. We, when I, you know, I was, I was a kid when the, when the Beatles albums were coming out and I didn't get probably any of the innuendos, any of the drug references, any of, and any weird, weird, and any of the, I didn't get any of the references. I just loved the music and I doted on the lyrics, even if I didn't understand them. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. The man in the crowd 
out with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. You could have chosen any number of songs. Any any honourable mentions you want to make to songs that you wish you, you could also well, have chosen at this point? I think I always loved For No One. Paul's beautiful ballad on that. Um, and I think for me, that that's people that people used to say, oh, Lennon's the lyricist, McCartney's the, the, the writes the pretty tunes. But the lyrics to For No One are deep and, and you can feel the hurt in that song. And, and, and that's a, a very beautifully written, uh, uh, lyrically sophisticated song. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful musically song as well. And that, that inspired horn solo in the middle. You, you know, who, who else would come up with that? You know, no, nobody else came up with things like that. So that, that's, a, that's a lovely, and a lovely vocal on it, on there. And Paul has said, I, I, was, I, I had a bit of a moment in, during that time, very creative time for, for Paul, that, that was. And the other one was, um, and I'll cheat and could say Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields, because if you like, those songs represented the zenith of both of their writing. And the, the, the opposite, the opposite and equal nature of them as, as writers. Strawberry Fields, just insane genius. Penny Lane, musically clever, lyrically clever. Lots of the again associations with their time in in Liverpool, as with both tracks, um, and it just showed the two sides of the band and the equal and equally brilliant side of each of those two music musicians and writers. And um, and another one I did because um, because because I grew up with them, I loved all the early I loved all the early albums. We played them end to end, you know. To, all the time, you know, all those early albums with all, when they were still doing covers. Um, but I put because as well, because I put for no one, because it's almost like Lennon's version of how sad can I make a song? Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, the lyrics, you might find them a bit third form rhymey, but, but, you know, because the world is round, it turns me on, you know, as the wind is high, it blows my eye. But that's, that's in a song, that's quite sophisticated lyricism and and the heart the vocal harmonies in it are stunning they are and, and whether that was mccartney or more george martin or george or, or, or um uh john saying i want this i to me it's weeks of mccartney but i don't know mm. yeah apparently george martin helped <clears> them a lot with them um, certainly in the early days helped them a lot with vocal harmonies and even yeah. directed some of them so yeah, yeah but it was lovely that they had one last go at that three-part harmony isn't it before they it was because that that harks back to this boy doesn't it it does gain yeah. it straight back to that mm. and then the other one the, the abbey road medley because again you know we've mentioned all of this all along but the brilliance of putting all those different disparate tracks tracks together and the culmination of the of the end you know and in the end the love you yeah you know, that's a lovely line isn't it and in the love you takes equal to the love you make and then george harrison's beautiful guitar playing on the end of it absolutely peerless stunning absolutely yeah. beautiful beautiful playing it's been great to talk to you neville is there anything we you'd like to promote or send people to what how could people find the work that you do or websites that you work with um oh, i'm currently edit, edit guitar techniques magazine um I, I don't write any of the stuff in it because i'm i'm not of that caliber um but um we, we, we do a digital version if you go on um, magazinesdirect.com 
you, you can subscribe to it. You know, we do it in a digital form as well as a print form. You can buy it in all the usual uh, stores. Um, it's, for guitar, it's for guitar players. It's for guitar players. And uh, I write reviews in Guitarist Magazine. Again, that's available print and digitally. I write guitar reviews and I do a little column in there called Neville's Advocate, which <laughs> you know, had to be, didn't it? Had to be, didn't it, really? So, yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff that I'm Great. doing now. And, and you uh, occasionally contribute to Music Radar by the sounds of it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, Music Radar. And we have guitarworld.com, which is another website, a more guitar-focused website. Um, so we are everywhere. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today talking about the Beatles and this song, Happiness is a Warm Gun. Um, really appreciate it. It was great. I'm privileged that you asked me. Thank you very much, Tim. Happiness is a warm Thanks for listening to my favourite Beatles song. Please subscribe through your favourite podcast provider to get episodes as they're released. If you like the podcast, please leave a review or rating as this helps us to reach new listeners. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at My Favourite Beatles Song and Twitter at My Fave Beatles. See you next time. <laughs>